Um, so as you were mentioning, with uh, with all the stunt coordination, you work with your wife, Sarah Chang, mm-hmm. on a ton of projects. Uh, what kinds of unique advantages do you, Vincent, uh, have working with your life partner in the industry? Oh, I mean, it's it's amazing. It's, it's pretty natural. It's like the ebb and flow of the ocean. It's such a great experience. I'm also scared of her. <laughs> so, a healthy she, amount of fear. <laughs> she can she can kick my head off. So I mean that's uh this big <laughs> big fact. Hey there, and welcome to Taiwan Talk, where we share the stories of people living in Taiwan. I'm Trevor Tortomasi, and joining me in the studio today is Vincent Soberano, an award-winning filmmaker, director, producer, actor, writer, martial artist, and perhaps the most difficult job of all, a dad. Vincent, welcome to the show. Yay, thank you so much. Thanks for having me here. No problem. So out of out of all the movie genres, uh, I feel like you picked one of the hardest to make, at least from my point of view. Uh, you've already directed seven films. Yeah, seven films. Okay, uh, with titles like Circle of Bones, Blood Hunters, We Are War. Uh, I, I want to say all of these in a deep voice because they've got some like pretty powerful names. What drew you to this action thriller uh, genre? Well, uh, my background in martial arts, you know, as a kid, I started martial arts when I was about 10 years old. My dad started taking me to kung fu movies and started watching American action films as well. After high school, I joined the army, so on and so forth. So, I mean, I've always been drawn to like the whole action sort of lifestyle. And as a filmmaker, it just felt like the right thing. You know, I just felt like the natural thing for me is to, to do action. I know it's hard and it's expensive, but I felt that that's where I'm best at. Okay, that's awesome. Well, you are a pretty international guy. You travel a lot for work. You're going to the Philippines. You've worked uh, in many different countries. Um, I'm curious where you spent most of your life before this, and how did you decide to settle in Taiwan? Well, I lived in the U.S. for like 25 years. Um, that's where I started my film career after film school, and um, eventually transitioned to the software industry for a little while. And uh, I moved to Beijing, lived there for 12 years, all the way till around 2000. 16 basically and i wanted to get out of the software industry and beijing was my way way out and when i was in beijing i worked with jackie chan you know i I opened up my own mma gyms i basically pursued my my dreams um so what is the most difficult part of the filmmaking process Uh, i imagine it's different for maybe different genres yeah it is but the problems are fundamentally the same Obviously, getting funding is the most, you know, is is the hardest and everyone knows that. But aside from that, writing a script that sells or gets funded into a feature film or a TV series, that's hard. A lot of people, you know, think, oh, I've got like a script. I'm going to get this funded. I'm going to get It's not that easy. You know, the market's very iffy and, you know, it goes back and forth. There's trends going in and out. And then there's just so many scripts out there. You know, so it's a single most important step, script writing and development. And you'll find thousands and thousands of filmmakers walking around with scripts that they couldn't sell. But at the end of the day, everything evolves. Even storytelling evolves. What used to be a very linear type of storytelling um, from like maybe even just 10 years ago, it's no longer marketable. People are now, I mean, you see all these movies now, they have the multiverse. They have all these like flashbacks going in and out, you know, past and present, future, like melding with each other, characters from different dimensions kind of thing. You know, creativity has to grow. And the market is like tired of watching the same linear stories. You know, at the end of the day, you got to sell to a market and studios or producers, they're not going to fund a film unless they feel like it's going to sell. 
and um, everything's data-driven, so everything is driven by trends, so they know what's trendy and what's not. And for filmmakers, you can't really call yourself a filmmaker if you haven't made a film. So the entry point to becoming a filmmaker, to being able to call yourself a filmmaker, is to actually make a film. In order to do that, you have to have the right script that can, you know, that can be funded to do that. And it's really hard. It's, it's hard to tell what will be bought and what will not be bought, what's going to trend and what's not going to trend. And at the end of the day, it's just a matter of like, you know, being out there just constantly pitching, pitching your scripts. You can't walk around with one script anymore. You know, you gotta, be, you gotta have like multiple scripts that you're, you just start pitching to producers, to the studios, you know, to distributors. You it's know? just part of the job now. Yeah. It's about the industry has evolved. You know, yeah. So much more content out there, but there's also so much more need for content out there. Going back to sort of what you were saying about uh, organizing stunts, your experience in martial arts, um, I saw some pictures of you setting up some action film stunts about a week ago with an actor in a pool, and there were tons of cameras and wires and people everywhere. Um, I'm curious, what, what is the setup for these stunts like? That, you know, what you saw, we were doing stunt rigging for a Korean TV series. And um, stunt rigging is, is one of those invisible arts in the world of filmmaking. You know, no one really, like, notices it. They only see the results of it. Um, if no one notices it, you know you did your job right. Exactly, okay, exactly. Yeah. You don't. If you don't see wires on, you know, on screen, then we did a job right, right? So um, I work with my wife on this. She 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 owns a a stunt rigging team. We provide services for different types of movies that require those kinds of services. And um, the one thing that we always focus on is the quality of our equipment and the quality of our people. So we work with the same people over and over again because we've trained them and we've deployed them on different projects, different assignments, and then also the type of equipment that we use. We pretty much use the same equipment that Cirque du Soleil is using. Yeah, so to give you a, you know, a, an idea of how professional our equipment is and how safe our equipment is. So how many people do you have on set for, say, like a cool jump? Someone's going to jump out of a pool or someone's going to jump from a rooftop to another rooftop. Do you have eight people you have 20 people it really varies on the stunt and the physics of the stunt itself because it's all about physics weight distribution slack versus stress it could range from just two people to somewhere between 15 to 20 people depends on the stunt we've seen some stunts where we have we have like 20 people pulling and all in different teams just pulling one person because they're flying the guy around like a superhero all over the place, all over the studio with green screen everywhere. Mm. But it's like one long shot, the guy's flying everywhere and you need just like several people to pull. Normally we work with a VFX coordinator on mm. set. So they know exactly what we're doing. So if we work with them closely, by the time it goes into editing, it only takes like seconds to just a few minutes to erase a wire. Mm. As long as like, for example, the wire's not in front of the guy's face. We do that in coordination with a VFX coordinator and also with the camera team. The cam the the director of photography has to know what you know what we're doing so he can position the cameras in the right place. You know things like those. It's a big it's a big effort. Um, so as you were mentioning with uh, with all the stunt coordination, you work with your wife Sarah Chang mm -hmm. on a ton of projects. Um, a bit behind the curtain, Sarah is here right now. Say hi, Sarah. Hi guys. <laughs> so uh, so Sarah, we actually interviewed back in September of 2021 uh, in an episode called "The Kung Fu of Being a Parent." Um, feel free to check that out after our talk with Vincent. But for now, uh, what kinds of unique advantages do you, Vincent, uh, have working with your life partner in the industry? 
Oh, I mean, it's it's amazing. We we've worked together since 2017. We've shot TV and digital commercials together. We ran a talk show podcast and provided production services for foreign productions. Uh, Sarah and I have pretty much worked together in almost every sector of the industry. It's it's pretty natural. It's like the ebb and flow of the ocean. She has her own projects. Obviously, she you know she's she's working on like Hollywood films and all that stuff, and I'm working on Filipino uh, international films. But every chance we get to work together, it's such a great experience. I'm also scared of her. <laughs> so a healthy <laughs> amount of fear. <laughs> she can she can kick my head off. So I mean that's uh, that's a big <laughs> big factor. You run a studio for production services in Taipei called Scene Eight Studio, which we can talk about in a sec. What is teaching film production and action and stuff taught you about making films yourself? Well, you know, first of all, I. I love to give back to aspiring filmmakers in terms of industry knowledge and skill sets that they'll probably never learn in school. You know, these are things that we learn on the job. After about two dozen films, several of those I directed a lot, I produced and acted in TV shows and commercials. I've I have like a book of details and knowledges that I can you know I can share for people. <laughs> it's I, the long it, list of mistakes long, I'll never make again. Exactly, that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what they are. They're mistakes, especially in terms of, produ- of producing films. You know, I made so many mistakes and cost so much money and all that stuff. But I take those for granted because that those knowledges are just common to me. But I look I look at other filmmakers starting out especially and I see those mistakes just glaring and, and they don't even see it. You know, so can you now I realize that learning those mistakes is part of the the probably the paid uh, curriculum that yeah, you've yeah. you've carefully constructed. But can you tell us an example maybe of something you noticed that Well, we're talking about script development, script writing, right? So mm-hmm. I, I did this too. In the beginning, I wrote my scripts according to what I'm passionate about. It doesn't matter if the scripts are relevant or not. I uh-huh. just think, oh man, this is such an artistic script and people are going to buy this. Yeah. But they're not because it's not what the market wants. You know, if you really want to break into the industry, you got to write a script that gets sold. In order to do that, you have to find collaboration with other people. Don't just start writing your script. Write write a concept, write a treatment, put your idea into a pitch deck, like a presentation, like a PPT, and start pitching it. And along the way, you're going to get a lot of ideas from producers, you know, who are looking for material. You know, because everyone wants, you know, wants, wants something out there. And learn from your rejections. And learn probably. from your rejections. Yeah. yeah. But yeah that's absolutely no, learn no from your rejections. No more difficult than auditioning. So, yeah. 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 So th- I've done that. Been there, done that. I have mm. revised scripts over and over and over again. Like maybe I'm talking like maybe 20 to 30 times until it got produced. I've been working on a project with, uh, with one of the big studios in the Philippines for, for a year now. We've been developing the script. And like I said, when I said about 30 times, 30 revisions, yeah, we've had more than 30 revisions. A lot of them were character-based. They just took a simple script that I had. It wasn't even a script. It was because I know better than to write a script before I write a pitch deck, right? So so I, I gave them a pitch deck with the idea, the concept. They loved it. I started creating the treatment, which is just uh, basically an outline, a summary of the storyline of the script without the dialogue first. And from the treatment alone, we started revising it. And then we started writing the episodes because it's supposed to be a miniseries. And so I started writing the episodes I thought everything was good because they already approved the treatment. We got to the episodes, uh, back to the drawing board. Oh, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good because these guys are professionals. They've been, they produced many, many movies and TV series. They put them on Netflix. They know what looks good and what doesn't. But the moment you see it on script, you start seeing the characters interacting. They're like, mm, no, cliche. Yeah. 
that that's that's rough but also i feel like catching that early and being like this doesn't work let's redo it immediately rather than starting and being like hey, it'll probably be okay most oh, yeah. times it's not and yeah, then exactly. you just kind of regret not starting yeah, over it's a people. very different industry now it's not as speculative as it used to be back in the 90s you know even the early 2000s it's data driven you know they mm-hmm. um you have companies like Netflix they're not movie companies they're they're data companies they're data mining companies they mine data from their users from their viewers and they figure out what exactly they need what what's going to sell next season next year in the next two years and then they they have a, a million scripts waiting in the in the Absolutely. rafters and they go yeah. through them and find yeah. the one that's yeah. already been- a million is not an understatement oh man yeah, yeah i mean I, I feel like when you're when you're producing something you want to sell it or you want to to have it appear somewhere I, I am looking at the data to find out okay like if i make this thing does it fit or am i going to make something that i think is funny but i don't mm-hmm. care what other people think well mm-hmm. then if you don't care what other people think that's great make your art but then also yeah, if you make your art be fully aware that maybe no one else because you didn't think about exactly. other people. That's very, very true. Uh, so, out of all your films, uh, seven so far and like four upcoming, I was checking out IMDb yeah. earlier, um, which of your films should people check out first? Currently, I have I have a movie called A Hard Day. Uh, I also starred in, and it's still on Netflix. Another film, The Trigonal Fight for Justice. It was in Hollywood Channel here in Taiwan, and people have seen it even in airlines. And then my, uh, my, my wife's movie, Accident Man, Hitman's Holiday, is currently showing on... Um, EBC or Dongsen Yangpian here mm-hmm. in Taiwan and uh, uh, Circle of Bones is, is still in the US it's available through Google Play and Apple and it was it was uh, released in, in apparently uh, 100 million homes so oh, nice. pretty cool <laughs> it's, it's, bit, it's nice to know that all your hard work reaches that many people now uh, how hard is it to get your movie into theaters is it just a money thing or do you kind of have to like lobby for that kind of thing too it may not be your goal but I'm curious yeah. like maybe what are the pros and cons and maybe a reason you haven't uh, yeah getting well everyone wants to get their movies in the theater right okay. so um, if you have a choice obviously throw obviously, it in there but I'm yeah, sure it's yeah. so there's got to be a reason it's so difficult yeah and it's totally up to the distributor mm-hmm. so that's something that I can't control once once the movie's done and I sell it a distributor distributor picks it up acquires it or licenses it it's up to them what mm. what they see is fit it's obviously very expensive to release a movie in theater because you have to book theaters and all the stuff you have to share your revenue with the movie theater so on and so forth you have to do all sorts of marketing to get people to buy tickets and the runs are limited so you're going to make your money in two weeks whereas streaming you throw it in a streaming platform it stays there for like a year two years um, their streaming platforms are VOD which is popular in the US which is video on demand they basically pay it's like watching a movie basically you just pay like $4 or $6 whatever to rent the movie and watch it at home that's more trackable and then there's others like Netflix for example subscription based where you know they just throw in movies in their you know in their queue and you can watch as many as you want and they're driven by subscriptions and there's also advertising based like YouTube for example uh, where you, you could watch a movie and they'll be advertising in between you know so yeah there, there's so many different ways it could go but it really depends on the distributor you know most yeah. of the time most likely a movie that makes it in the big screen and in, in movie theaters will have a big star because they know that there's a fan club whatever people will go to the movie theater to watch you know Tom Cruise yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean, as long as you're getting your stuff out there to reach people, I think that's what really yeah. matters. Yeah, that's why we were like really, really like happy that Circle of Bones made it to the movie theaters. Mm. But then we have Sarah Chang. Yeah, know? exactly. So, 
and so what kinds of stories, back to the Taiwan perspective, mm -hmm. what kinds of stories do you think we need to hear more of from Taiwan? Now well, that you're working in here, helping people, young filmmakers and actors in Taiwan. Well, the formula is the same. No matter if it's Taiwan, Malaysia, Philippines and stuff like that. There's only so much that local cultural content can do in the international market. Number one, a lot of Americans, for example, they don't understand the culture in Taiwan, the language. They don't, you know, what, what Taiwanese find funny may not be funny for Americans or British people or whatever. Or and, vice versa, which or is vice very versa. important. <laughs> exactly, right? So same thing as uh, romance, you know. Mm -hmm. So what may constitute a, a really a, a tearjerker or, or a really romantic story um, for Taiwanese, maybe may, may kind of hokey for Americans, you know. So, so I think the two things that really sell is action and horror. That's at an international language. When you mm. punch someone in the face and you break his nose, everyone goes ah and ooh, right? <laughs> yeah. It elicits the same response. Mm. Jump scare movies, like you know, like slasher movies or whatever, those things elicit the same response to in audiences all over the world. So, um, those are the kind of content that will sell internationally coming from Taiwan. So if you want to inject some culture in it, make a Taiwanese horror movie with a little bit of culture behind it. You know, mm. make a Filipino action film with a little, with Filipino martial arts, but with still the same elements of, of action, all that stuff. You know, so yeah, mix it up, mix it, mix up the culture with the known elements that that will sell worldwide. There's a saying that says, "Just go out there and hustle, hustle, hustle." I say you gotta hustle smart. Yeah. There's there's a difference between working hard and working smart. And working smart means you have to understand the market that you're entering. And a lot of ambitious like actors, especially bilingual actors, they want to break into the Hollywood market, especially since you know Asians are becoming more and more mainstream. And and it's different. You know the way things are done are done in Hollywood is different from Taiwan. And We've had considerable success Be between me and Sarah. We've broken into the Hollywood market, uh, especially Sarah. So we kind of know what works. So we start creating um, what we call actor packages, casting packages that will help actors get their foot in the door through the proper representation, which is very important in Hollywood. You can't get anywhere without good representation and the right, what we call typecasting. Hmm. You know, when you're, when you're entering a market as a newbie, you can't just go broad. You can't go ma mainstream. You can't say, I can do anything. You have to come out there, put your best foot forward and say, I'm best at doing this. Mm. Basically be become big fish in a small pond. Yeah. Rather than entering a big ocean as a small fish. You want to make your brand the make easiest your, possible sell. Brand yourself, typecast yourself, yeah. sell that platform. Once you're in and you start making the big bucks and you have the market behind you, you have followers, you have fan base and all this stuff, you can make your call. You can turn around like Michelle Yeoh and says, you know what? I'm going to do Crazy Rich Asians. I'm not going to punch anyone in this entire movie. <laughs> she made in the fact, decision. I'm going to be a mom. To not punch anybody. Exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to prove myself as, a, as an actress. Yeah. Right there and then, everything starts flowing because you control the market. You can break the rules when you're up there. But when you're entering, you got to go with what you're good at. And that constitutes us working with a client figuring out what they're good at. Because a lot of clients will come to us and says, well, I look like Bruce Lee. Like, no, you don't. Well, I <laughs> act like him. No, you don't. You know, of course, they want to be someone that they, they really are not. And it takes a professional perspective to kind of tell them like, look, okay, no, you're not, but you're good at this. If you want to be that, you can be that one day, but let's get you an entry point first. Anyway, I just want to plug in our, the uh, upcoming launch of our very own production studio. Mm -hmm. I mean, the CNH studio now has a home. Mm -hmm. We have a production studio in Shinbeito, 
and it's designed for shooting commercials and creating actor packages for aspiring Hollywood actors. Cine Studio will launch in mid-April and a full line of film production equipment as well. We're going to be announcing um, everything pretty soon, so stay tuned. Just search for Cine Studio on Facebook, Instagram, or just Google it. Cine Studio. Cool. Okay. Well, for all the aspiring filmmakers, martial artists, um, actors, writers, uh, and dads, I suppose, um, out there, uh, thank you for listening. Thank you, Vincent Soberano, for coming in today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. And thanks to you, the listener. If you'd like to hear more from ICRT, you can listen to full-length episodes of Taiwan Talk wherever you normally find podcasts. And you can help us out by telling a friend. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Taiwan Talk. Until next time, I'm Trevor Tortomasi on ICRT FM 100. If you'd like to hear more from ICRT, you can check out our other podcasts. We've got Taiwan This Week, a roundup of the news in Taiwan every Friday. English in the News, for useful English expressions explained in Chinese. And EZ News, spelled with the letters E and Z, for simplified daily news. For some lighter news in both English and Chinese, check out News Bites and News for Kids. And if you enjoy them, tell a friend. Thanks for listening.